Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and joined as always by Taylor Haas. And Dave Molinari, Uh, a little bit later, we will be joined by national hockey writer uh, Scott Burnside. So it's going to be great to hear what Scott has to say. we got a lot of questions about him around the league and and what stuff's going on with different teams and also here with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, the news, at least early this week, uh, Mike Lang, 46 years as the Penguins, the voice of the Penguins, stepping down, retiring. Uh, and I can just tell you just in the first hour, hour and a half, uh, since Taylor posted her quick story, uh, just an outpouring of, of fans, uh, on our son, the DK Pittsburgh sports website, uh, with comments up there. I mean, it's, it's an incredible amount of comments within 90 minutes. And that's what I guess you would expect for a, a legend, uh, like Mike Lang, uh, Dave, from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, game as they say, game respects games. Just your just your initial thoughts here on on Mike's career. We'll definitely dig into it a little deeper. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's even a point of contention to say that he is among people who were not directly involved with the on ice product, uh, the most important figure in Penguins history. I mean. He, I think Mike gets the, you know, the top 10 places on that list. Uh, He kept hockey interest alive in Pittsburgh at a time when uh, the on ice product uh, was, was not worthy of, of paying attention to Mike managed to make broadcast something that, that you tuned in for the sake of the broadcast, not necessarily for the game that was being broadcast. And, you know, he was, part of a, a generation of broadcasters who, you know, brought their own distinctive style. You know, Mike's goal calls are, are known across North America and probably on, well, you know, the far sides of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Um, I don't know that there are many of those unique broadcasters in that business anymore. Um, Mike certainly was was one of those. Uh, I don't think there's any question that he merits a place along the the great announcers in Pittsburgh sports history with you know Bob Prince and you know Bill Hillgrove, uh, you know it's Myron Cope. Um, he's just you know it meant so much to hockey in this area and you know it uh, it will not be the same without uh, him being as involved as he has been for so many years, even though his role was cut back a bit uh, during the past couple. Uh, Taylor, just your, your, your initial thoughts on, on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm younger than, than, mm-hmm. than both of you. So like, I, 
Mike Lang is kind of all I know um, as as the as a Penguins you know broadcaster, radio, or TV. And like I grew up in in Baltimore, so I wasn't watching Lang on TV, um, you know, regularly growing up or anything. But I still was knew who he was and knew his calls. And you know, um, I think you you saw it. You know, if you on social media during this season when he was calling games. Uh, people would like dub over, you know, they post highlight videos and like dub his calls over and, you know, take out the TV uh, broadcast, put that kind of effort in. I know like I'd always hear uh, people commenting on our site or you just talking on social media about how they would like do that live watching the game too. They would mute their TV and try to sync it up with um, you know, like the radio broadcast. And that's not something I think you, you see anywhere, people doing anywhere else, that kind of effort just to, you know, listen to him. Um, you know, when they moved him to radio and uh, yeah, like, like Dave said, everyone knows his calls. I think if you look on uh, like the comments on our site or on social, everyone's just commenting their, you know, their favorite calls of his. Um, so yeah, quite, quite a legacy. Yeah. I, I will add this from my own personal recollection. Growing up in Northeast Ohio, uh, if you lived like in the Youngstown Warren area, right on the border, you, you were able to listen or enjoy both Pittsburgh sports and Cleveland sports. And for me, for anyone out there that's listening from the Northeast Ohio or grew up in Northeast Ohio, know the great Joe Tate who did the Cavs for many years. And Dave, you hit it right on the head. I mean, for years, when, when before the Mario Lemieux era and maybe a couple of years after when Mario, in between Mario and, and, and Sid before he gets it going, I mean, that's the reason you watched. I mean, it was, Lang was so good. And Tate was so good at what they did that you would just you would enjoy it. Yeah, the team's not going to be very good, but you didn't. You always wanted to hear what Mike Lang had to say because he was. For me, there's when you when you think about broadcasters, there's two or three things that maybe stick out. How smooth are they? Lang was really smooth. He just uh, he he. Go ahead, Dave. No, go, no, I'm. He, he, he kept up with the play. It just it was a it was a flow. There was a flow to his broadcast. That, that, that is not there with a lot of guys. Uh, some guys can do that. Some guys can't. Some guys aren't as inform, aren't, aren't, are not as informed. They can't give you little statistics. They can't give you a sense of something's going to happen. You can feel it in the broadcaster's tone. You can hear it in his words that the Penguins are either in trouble or they're on the verge of scoring a goal. And then there's some people that are just really entertaining. There's some guys that maybe not as good at the other two things, but you'll listen because they're really entertaining. Lang did it all, Mike or Dave. He did it all. Uh, it's one of the it's one of the great broadcasters in my in in my lifetime. Yeah, and uh, I mean he was the total package. And you know the the incredible thing is he didn't grow up with the game. You know it, he's from uh, around Sacramento. Yes, you know, it, it's not something that you know he played when he was three years old or anything like that. But he developed an incredible feel for the game. He he understood it probably as as well or better than than any media member, you know, broadcast, print, whatever uh, that I've ever been around. Uh, how he was able to do that, you know, I don't know, but he did, and we all benefited from it. And, and Taylor, you got to know him toward the end of his career. Just not only just a, a terrific broadcaster, but a little bit of a character. I mean, people, people, I, I know you were, you weren't around for the first group, the first two Stanley Cups, 
but Lang was just this kind of, uh, he drove a Cadillac, right, Dave? He I don't know if he still does, yeah. but he used to drive a Cadillac and we'd park right in front of the Civic Arena. <laughs> he, he had one spot. Nobody parked there except Mike Lang. And he just seemed like this, this guy you could talk to in a bar. Taylor, did you just, maybe you didn't talk to him in a bar, but just what are, <laughs> what are your memories of, of talking with Mike and, and maybe at, at a morning skate or something like that? Yeah, I the first time I talked to him, it was after a game. So in you know we have like a, the assigned seats in the press box, and our our seats are kind of right in front of uh, the Penguins radio booth. And it was after a game, and like I I go back up to the press box, uh, you know, to write or whatever. And he's you know normally the last ones out of there, and he like called down to me, and he uh, he's like, "You're Taylor, right?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> like that he knew who I was. This is like maybe three years ago um and he told me he likes something like i wrote recently um and he you know said uh you know he likes reading like the prospect stuff i was doing and that just kind of blew me away uh that he knew number one who i was but he was reading you know like my prospect stuff um yeah, yeah. Uh, and he i he stopped me a couple times like you know like late after that uh to tell me like something specific that I wrote. So, um, yeah. yeah, just, I thought that was really cool. Mike or Dave, I got getting Dave and Mike, the two Hall of Famers mixed up here. Dave, I, I remember one of the first things you mentioned that he was not from a hockey background. I remember Mike Lang saying when he was first starting uh, to try to branch out, trying to get jobs outside of his area, he would send his resume attached to a baseball bat. And he would stick stick it in like a whatever. You'd have to send us a, to a bat to a radio station or whatever. Just as kind of a, something a little unique, something that they would kind of remember him by. I, I just over the years. I mean, you you've been around him for so many years. Give me some of your maybe stories that you can share about Mike Lang. Uh, maybe not just his call, but just just Mike Lang the person. Well, and it was interesting a while ago that you said he seemed like a guy that you could talk to in a bar. I wouldn't even want to guess how many people have talked to Mike <laughs> Lang in a bar. Uh, and honestly, probably some of my favorite stories just about spending time with Mike uh, almost invariably happened in Chicago and uh, involved uh, going to blues clubs and, and bars. And then uh, on the way back to the hotel, stopping and getting what we came to call manhole covers, which were the <laughs> Chicago style pizzas. Um, you know, he, uh, Mike has a, uh, a very deep love of the blues. Uh, in fact, has uh, planned many of his off season vacations around trips to, you know, the Mississippi Delta or Chicago or wow. Memphis uh, places, you know, where the blues predominate. And um, was a was a big fan of uh, blues clubs in in Pittsburgh as well. Um, so as, as great a broadcaster as he was for so long, and as entertaining as, as his calls were, and as as informative and, and insightful, probably my uh, my most enduring memories of him will will be things that happened away from the rink. Yeah, it's just, and, and I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's it's that generation of guys that you had mentioned earlier. And it is, is interesting uh, uh, that, um, that, 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 you know, that this couple of these guys 
are going out. Doc Emmerich, a, a year earlier, I think Doc was last year, was last year, right? Last season. Uh, uh-huh. he, not this past season, but the year before was, was Doc's last year, right? I believe he finished in 2020. Yes. So you have some of these great guys, Bob Cole, I think up in Canada, just these legendary broadcasters and, and not to say we're not, we're going to have great announcers all the time, but, 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 you, but Lang truly did seem like a bit of a character. Now, now the story, Dave, he, his sayings, the sayings that you see on t-shirts and the people repeat all the time, he heard those. Is that correct? Is that how he would come up with some of these sayings? A lot of them, I know, and and referring back to the Chicago Blues Club uh, trips, uh, that's, I I mean, I was with him the the night that he uh, hit upon, she wants to sell my monkey, which which is a lyric in a blues song. In fact, I believe it's the title of that song. (laughs) Pretty good song, by the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... As, you know, in recent years, you know, he, uh, people made a lot of uh, suggestions to him. And I think he, uh, he took, you know, he took some of those and and made them his own. But, you know, he, uh, you know, she wants to sell my monkey is a, is a pretty good example of the, you know, the eclectic sources that he had uh, for, for those goal calls that, that we all enjoyed so much. The thing about Mike that Taylor that that for me and, and we're just talking here and we're laughing about some of the great goal calls that he's had, but that almost for me takes a little bit away from the fact that we go back to the fact that he was such a quote unquote five tool player because he was such a good broadcaster beyond that. And I don't know if I've ever heard a broadcaster. I, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I want to get your thoughts on this, Taylor, who. He anticipated stuff, almost like a player, almost like a player. We always talk about the great ones always have that, can see the game one or two steps ahead. And if you listen to Lang, you knew what was going on in the game and you knew whether the Penguins were in trouble or they were about to break the game open. And I don't know a lot of guys that, that, or women out there that are good, even good at what they do, that have that sense. Yeah, just just the energy he brought to the broadcast, and I mean that's why what when FSN Pittsburgh, you know, switched and you know he had he moved back to radio. That's um, I think something a lot of people noticed um, that was lacking. I guess when when they took when they when he moved to radio, and that's why so many people listen to the radio, like I mentioned, uh, over the TV broadcast, or you know they dub him over the the highlights just because of. Um, you know, the buildup when those big moments are coming in. And yeah, I mean, like the, the goal calls, I think those are um, what make him so iconic because everyone remembers those and everyone can quote, you know, a handful of them uh, at least. But yeah, he just he just had everything. Uh, Dave, I go back to the KBL. Remember KBL? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, long before it, whatever it is now. I, I can't even keep track of what they are now anymore. I, it's a shame to say, but it changed the TV stations. Those networks, regional networks, changed their names so much. But I can remember sitting in my living room, and my parents had some friends over, and they were not hockey people at all. They were just, they were just sitting there. And they got caught up into the game because of Lang's calls. It was a game where they, you know, they scored a bunch of goals, probably against Hartford or somebody. And they were just thoroughly entertained. They, they didn't want, they didn't like hockey at all, but they just like, this guy's really good. And I'm thinking that's the great, one of the great compliments of someone who doesn't even like the sport, 
would, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, that even in those bad years, you tuned in to listen to Mike Lang. He was, I don't want to say, he was kind of like Mario before Mario, but Mario did it on the ice. He at least got you to Mario. Uh, and then what a great marriage, right, Dave? What a great marriage, those two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, I mean, that your anecdote about what happened at your parents' house is, I, I, I mean, it's... Uh, distills the whole idea of of how he was able to keep hockey interest alive in in Pittsburgh when the penguins were incapable of of doing so <laughs> yeah. uh, he he could make people who weren't emotionally invested you know in the team want to tune in and, and pay attention he he was you know that i guess that's where his entertaining side uh, really came into play more so than than his hockey knowledge and and his his feel for the game, which I think in a lot of cases he he has a better sense of it than than do a lot of analysts who actually played the game at a very high level. Yeah. Um, his, his feel for for hockey was is just incredible, and it's unlike. I mean, I was fortunate enough to hear some of the great, great broadcasters in, in NHL history. You mentioned Bob Cole and Dick Irvin and Dan Kelly, um, you know, the Lloyd Pettit, the, the real greats of that business. And, you know, Mike's feel for the game rivaled or, or surpassed all of them. Uh, really extraordinary. And we were so fortunate in, in this market to, uh, to have him. Yep. Call them our own. Uh, all right. We're just getting started here. Uh, we will have Scott Burnside uh, on in a little bit later, but we'll come up with a round table. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Evan Rodriguez, who's back. Uh, and we'll, what do we expect from him this season and a couple other topics here on the 66 to 87 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. In a bit, we will be joined by Scott Burnside, uh, National Hockey League national reporter. Uh, but right now we get into our little roundtable segment and we're going to start out with our player evaluations. As you guys know, <clears throat> regular listeners here, the 66 to 87 podcast, we're spending the summer kind of going over all the all the Penguins players on the roster, what they did last year, and what we what we might expect and how they fit into the plans here for the 21-22 season. Today brings us to forward Evan Rodriguez. Uh, last season, 35 games, uh, seven goals, seven assists, 14 points. Uh, had his season interrupted with a, a, a tr- uh, incredible collision. And I think that's exactly what it was with Philip Hedo of the Rangers that knocked him out for a while. Uh, Taylor, uh, just, uh, the, the other story, of course, with, with Rodriguez is they chose to bring him back. Uh, they make the right call on that? Yeah, I know, you know, some people, 
on you know that first day free agency, you're like, why did they you know spend all this money on you know depth signings instead of going out and addressing you know whatever need? But the the depth signings they made really I don't think took away from that when you looked at you know how much right-handed defensemen and you know like one B goalies were going for. Uh, I mean Rodriguez they signed him for a million dollars and that's not going to you know you, you take that away. Uh, or, you know, even, you know, you add that with, like, Danton Heinen's contract, that's not going to get you, like, a solid, like, number two right-handed uh, defenseman or, or goalie. Um, so they do need that kind of depth. Uh, Rodriguez, we saw, you know, before he – they could kind of play an up, and down, up and down the lineup. He could play wing and center. He's just really good depth to have. Um, I don't think, you know, he's going to – block any of the younger guys from getting into the lineup if you know they end up you know proving uh in training camp or you know to start the season to be a better option um he's someone that you can you know sit out and uh you know he can sit for long periods of time and come back in when when needed it's still be effective and that's not something you want to do with those younger players like pool and or like right um so yeah I, he's just fine depth to have and he's really affordable so um yeah definitely right call Dave, your, your thoughts on bringing him back? Uh, I mean, I, I don't see that there's any particular downside. I mean, he's versatile. You know, he's capable. He's certainly not a difference maker, but, you right. know, you don't, uh, you don't have to necessarily dress 20 difference makers every game. Um, you know, you need guys who just go out there and can, and can do a solid job. Uh, you know, he as mentioned, uh, he can play up and down the lineup. You can you can use him probably at any forward position where where he's needed. Uh, he's not terribly expensive. Um, you know, I I I think it's a lot easier to make a case for re-signing him than it would have been for for letting him walk. You know, when when he could have been kept at, at a reasonable price as he was. Taylor, speaking of being kept in a reasonable price, uh, I would think if, 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 if the Penguins fans are gnashing their teeth about what's going on uh, with their goaltending situation in Tristan Jari, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of, of uh, Flyers Nation uh, as we record today. Uh, the, the news coming out of Philadelphia uh, that they have uh, signed uh, Carter Hart to an extension after this season and and uh it is not a two-way contract it is actually a one-way contract and a a pretty decent contract what are the details and what are your thoughts on on them deciding to make this move right now yeah uh, it's a three-year extension and it's uh just under four million uh cap hit 3.979 uh I, I i think that's interesting like he, he he really did have a rough year last year we've talked about it you know, anytime we've mentioned the Flyers on this podcast that, you know, the Flyers made all these moves, but really a lot of their success hinges on what Carter Hart does um, and, you know, his ability to bounce back um, three years. I, I guess that's a fine, uh, you know, term to give him that kind of chance to do that. And uh, the cap it is, is pretty affordable. You know, it, it kind of gives them the opportunity where, you know, if they do need to get, you know, a better one B eventually to share the net with him, that that 3.9 is, is, you know, a fine cap it for, for one of those goalies that they could, you know, go out and spend more on a, on a second one if, if they end up need, needing to do that. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, if, if he does turn, turn it around and play the way he was, what, two seasons ago, 
I think this is a great deal, but um, yeah, just uh, interesting to see what happens uh, next season. Dave, this guy's not T.J. Watt. Uh, I don't think there was a, in my mind, there wasn't a great, uh, a great uh, urgency to get him pen to paper. Uh, you agree with going ahead and signing him now, or would you have wanted to, given this, the season that he just came off of, maybe played part of the season, or maybe let's just see where this takes us through the end of next season? Well, I, I wonder if psychology is playing any part of this. If they think that something like, you know, a, a contract like this would uh, be a step toward restoring his confidence. Um, you know, I certainly don't profess to know Carter Hart well enough to, uh, to know what makes him tick. But, I, you know, it clearly it, it's a statement of confidence by, by the uh, Flyers management. Um, you know, what, what their motive was, I, I don't really know. But I have to think that, that Hart will, uh, you know, will, will view this as, as a statement, you know, a tangible statement uh, of the team's belief that, that he can get his game back to where it was two years ago. Taylor, you brought up a good point, and, and I think we mentioned this on one of our previous podcasts, about how active Philadelphia has been and as far as bringing in some defenseman Ryan Ellis uh, I'll just let you, it's, it's Ramus, which, which, which Ramus is it? Ramus from, from Buffalo that's coming in? Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh, you're unbelievable <laughs> the way you say that. But, but did that, I mean, to, in, in fairness to Carter Hart, having watched a ton of their games last year, he was left out to dry a lot, but I, I would have to think after making these moves, there isn't a whole lot of excuses now, uh, for Carter Hart, if uh, when you bring in a guy of Ryan Ellis's quality, uh, he had better he'd better start putting up better numbers than he did last year. Yeah, their their defense was a real issue in front of him. So it wasn't all on him last year. But even then, um, you know, I, we've mentioned it, like the the goaltending stat that's like uh, goals saved above expected, which is kind of it takes into account that workload. Um, yeah. He was one of the worst in the in the league uh, in, in in that area. So even you know considering you know the heavy workload, he was still underperforming. Um, even taking that into account, so he didn't get any help. But he also was a problem last year. So uh, yeah, they at least improved the defense, um, improved the, really the whole team in front of him. Uh, so that that should help. But he still has to rebound uh, himself too. Dave, what Pennsylvania hockey fan base should feel better about their goaltending going into this season? Johnstown Chiefs. <laughs> Wilkes-Barre. <laughs> I'm excited about Wilkes-Barre's goaltending. I think that's, that's my pick. That's why Mike Lang loved you, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Those prospect stories. Uh, all right. We can't improve on that ending. Uh, all right. When we come back, we'll be joined by the great Scott Burnside. Uh, stick with us. We'll be talking some Penguins a little bit more, Mike Lang, and uh, go around the league with getting Scotty's thoughts on some of the, the big stories uh, that, that, that are facing the league coming into a season that's rapidly approaching here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised, we're joined by the great Scott Burnside, longtime uh, National Hockey League writer. Scott, how are you doing today? 
Tom, I'm doing very well, and thank you so much for having me aboard. I wanted to. It's great to uh, catch up, and, and knowing that Dave is there, I wondered if the flags were flying at half mast in Pittsburgh after <laughs> the announcement that Mike Lang was uh, retiring. That's uh, man, that's as that's huge news in Pittsburgh. I would think. Yeah, you know, Scotty probably uh, not only in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's uh, Mike was on the call for an awful lot of years. I. Uh, I think people uh, across North America are uh, are uh, aware of the announcement, and uh, you know, uh, reflecting on uh, on how much fun it was to listen to him for all those years. You uh, you've been coming to Pittsburgh for a number of years yourself. Uh, what do you remember about Mike Lang? Well, as you as you know, Dave, and <clears throat> I uh, also crossed that sort of lo- not line or the uh, literally cross the street from Mellon Arena down to uh, the the new arena, PPG Paints, uh, and so the, you know the opportunity to be in the press box and just um, you know sort of close enough that you can hear Mike and of course interact with him between periods and. Um, you know, whether, <clears throat> whether it was off day practices or morning skates, um, yeah, just, a, a, you, you always, at least I think you understand when you're in the presence of greatness and, um, you know, I've had a chance over the years to spend some time with, you know, some of the great broadcasters in, in hockey and, and Mike is, he's right there. He's in the, he's, he is in the stratosphere and it's, to me, it was always interesting just how, um, whether it was players or coaches or managers, um, you know, the respect that Mike had from everyone in the game and it was so well-earned and you just, it's, it's the comfort of not just the words that someone like Mike uses, but the tone and the inflection. And it's just, you just knew instantly where you were and he set the scene so beautifully for so many years. And yeah, no, it, it, it's, uh, I, I will always think fondly of, of listening to to Mike call a game, but also just to to, to be able to be in the same space. Uh, it's one of the many reasons it's a it's a pretty good job to have. So, uh, yeah, Scotty, it, it seems like Mike was still a, a young broadcaster the last time the Penguins won a playoff series. Uh, <laughs> what uh, a view from the outside? What do you think has to happen for for them to end? The, that streak of, of first round eliminations, if, if in fact that's uh, it's a realistic objective for them. Yeah, you, you know what this period reminds me a, a little bit of, Dave, is is that period after uh, the Penguins went back to back to the final in 08 and 09, of course, winning the Cup in 09. And then there was a period of time where, you know, it looked it looked a little bit, I think, like it does now. Like, oh, not that the window was closing necessarily, but okay, can you win again? with this core of players. And, and there were, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of discussion in that period um, right after the 09, you know, for three or four years where it was, well, is Marc-Andre Fleury, the goalie who can do it for you? Do you need to trade one of the big three, whether that's Crosby, Malkin, or Latang? Should Latang have been, you know, given the big contract extension that he ultimately was? And, and of course the, no, the answer was that yes, you can. Not only can you win with this core, but you can, in fact, go back to back. So, you know, I get that those players are older now, and that 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 the they are much closer to um, 
the finish line than they were in that 08-09 period. I get that. But I, I thought that team last year, um, I thought they had an impressive regular season. I thought for the most part they were the better team in the first round against the Islanders. I, I, I you know, and it's such a simple thing to say, but you, you had the second best goaltending in that series, and that's what cost you. And um it's clear at least at this point that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke believe that there is enough confidence in the room uh, that uh, Tristan Jari and and Casey um, DeSmith are are going to be able to provide not just competent goaltending, but um, a, or, you know, maybe a minus goaltending and and that this team still has uh, the goods to go deep in the playoffs. So um, it, it seems you know, it's a long way to get around to a simple thing. And for me, it really is a simple thing with this Penguins team. Can your goaltending elevate itself from what we saw in the playoffs last year? And if it can, in a in a metropolitan division, I think is really in a state of flux. I don't see any reason that the Penguins shouldn't be a playoff team and that they they don't have the potential or that they, I don't see why they wouldn't have the potential to make a playoff run again. But it, to me, it's a simple thing. Can your goaltending be better than it was last spring and if it can well we'll see what happens and if it can't then that's a failure on the part of the organization to address an obvious need uh scott one of the other one of the one of the big storylines here in this offseason has been jack nike jack eichel his neck and kind of uh where he's going to wind up obviously uh buffalo is probably going to move him uh but there's issues about should he have surgery? Should he not have surgery? Where do you think this all winds up with him? And where did you think just flat out Jack Eichel winds up when the season starts? Yeah, Tom, such a, you know, a fascinating story. And I, I, I don't know how it ends. I, I don't know when it ends or how it ends, but it, my guess is it ends ugly <laughs> one way or the other. And, you know, yeah. I got to feel, you know, I think you feel for a fan base in Buffalo that really has just, you know, suffered through calamity after calamity for, you know, a team with the longest playoff drought uh, in the NHL. It, it has, they deserve a lot better than they've received in Buffalo. And, and, you know, for, for Kevin Adams, who's the, the rookie GM sort of thrust into a position that, you know, I think it's fair to ask whether he, he was, you know, really ready for or qualified to take on. Um, and one of his first jobs, well, he made a coaching change and I, and I love the hire of Don Granato. I just think it, I think Don's going to do, I think you saw it um, down the stretch. That team played with a lot more joy and, and uh, uh, a much greater tempo. And I think Don Granato is going to do a great job there with that next wave of young players. Um, but the whole Jack Eichel situation, um, you know, at some point, Kevin Adams, I think, is going to have to come to a, a reckoning and maybe it comes with ownership. Um, maybe it comes with opposing NHL GMs. But right now he wants it all right now. He wants maximum return. And we're talking a package that includes multiple first round picks. So either actual first round picks or players who were first round picks, um, ready made young NHL players. <clears throat> he wants he wants a full ransom for Jack Eichel and Jack Eichel has a $10 million cap hit. He's got $50 million outstanding on his contract and he has a neck injury. Um, He wants one particular form of surgery 
if I'm understanding it correctly, the team understands surgery is required, but prefers a, uh, um, a more tried and true form of surgery on the desk, disc in the neck. Um, so that has to be resolved. And so any team that acquires Shaq Eichel has to have a, the assets to acquire and the confidence that when they do that, they're getting one of the elite centers in the NHL and not damaged goods. And I, I don't know, you know, I know, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you've talked to organizations who have been interested, but it, there's just so much risk when you're looking at la- at that. So uh, my guess is, is that maybe Jack Eichel stays in Buffalo to the start of the season, and that'll be a real test of his professionalism. It'll be a test of, you know, what Don Granato does. If, you know, can you bring a, not just a player, but a captain back into your room uh, who doesn't want to be there? Or at some point, did the Sabres have to sell short on Jack Eichel to move on from this? And And right now, my understanding is the Sabres don't want to take less than what they want. But right now, no one has come to the table with that kind of offer. So right now, you are in a complete stalemate. Uh, it is it is a fascinating situation because he, if he's healthy, he is the kind of player that can change your team for a long time. And I know that's why a team like the Rangers are – you know, are so, my understanding, you know, sort of interested in what it would take to have him come aboard. And other teams we know have, you know, sort of looked at it, the LA Kings. I think that is the ship has sailed with Philip Deneau signing there. Uh, the Minnesota Wild would have been interested, but, you know, they've taken, you know, Bill Guerin's worked hard to build up a stable of young assets in that organization. And uh, I, I think is leery about uh, disrupting that. So, there aren't many teams who can take Jack Eichel on in that contract. Um, and, and certainly I think even fewer teams that are willing to take the risk for what the Sabres are asking for. Now it's, it's, it is a crazy story, but if, if there's a crazy thing that happens in the NHL, chances are it happens in Buffalo. It's just the way that organization <laughs> has gone. So, yeah. Uh, one question I've had in the last couple of weeks, uh, Scott, how many New York Rangers does it take to stand up to uh, Tom Wilson? Because it seems like they're trying to find everybody around the league uh, to bring in to either stand up to Tom Wilson or to at least play with their rival New York Islanders. I want to get your impressions of their offseason. Obviously, they are in the Penguins division. I think you mentioned a bit earlier this division seems to be in flux. The Rangers seem to have all this young talent, uh, but they have brought in some grit. They've brought in Ryan Reeves, who clearly is, is probably here. Uh, for 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 Tom Wilson's and maybe a, a few other fights along the way, what do you make of their off season? Well, yeah, you know, again, there's a there's another team that has you know provided no shortage of headlines going back to the end of the regular season, and you mentioned Tom Wilson and that melee towards the end of the regular slate, and then almost immediately the team firing GM Jeff Gordon and president John Davidson, who of course returned to Columbus with the blue jackets, speaking of the metropolitan division. But uh, you know what? I've been interested to see how Chris Drury has approached this. And of course, hiring Gerard Gallant. um, I think this team is made for Gerard Gallant. I think he's going to be the kind of guy is going to get the most out of players like Capo Caco and Alex, Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, of course, we know about Adam Fox, the defending uh, Norris Trophy winner. But I, I, I totally get the idea of you need to get, you know, the Rangers needed to, to, to have more physical presence. And I think you go back to see what Tampa did 
you know, after they were swept by Columbus, uh, you know, after that 62 win season and Columbus playing a heavy, gritty, he- uh, physical style of play, um, they, they knocked the, the lightning around and the lightning got bigger and tougher. And I don't mean fighting tough, but, you know, whether it was players like Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman and, of course, Pat Maroon, the perennial cup winner, doesn't matter where he goes, um, Zach Bogosian on the back end, that team physically changed how they looked and how they played. And I think the Rangers see that as a, as a viable model. And you're right. You know, I, you know, Ryan Reeves to me is a, you know, at 34 years old, I mean, really what, you know, what's his maximum seven, eight minutes a night Uh, to me, uh, I'm more interested in a guy like Barkley Goodrow who signed a big deal, you know, $3.6 million cap hit. Um, But I like his presence there. I like Sammy blaze coming over. Uh, I know Pavel Buchnevich, a very popular player with the Rangers, but Sammy blaze is going to come in. He can play up and down the lineup, but a bigger body. I I think, I think those kinds of moves are, are completely understandable. Now you can go, you know, you can go, too far on the pendulum but and you have to pay i think for that kind of experience and that kind of player if it's not naturally homegrown so um i am curious to see where the rangers fit into that metropolitan division now i think they will be harder to play against um you know they're right in the middle of this whole discussion about jack eichel Uh, you know if if does Jack Eichel come to be the, the Rangers' number one center? Uh, what do they do with Mika Zibanejad, who's entering his contract year? And, you know, what what is his value after a really up-and-down season last year? You know, you know, two years ago, he's one of the best players in the NHL. Um, you know, is he an $8 million player? Is he a $6 million player? Is he nine? Uh, obviously, I don't think you can afford both Zibanejad and, and Jack Eichel long-term. So a lot of things in flux for the Rangers, but I understand what Chris Drury has done and, and, and I don't mind that. And I think the Rangers are going to be harder to play against. And I think they're going to be right there in the playoff mix as well in a team. You know, I, honestly, when you look at the Metro, at least uh, when I look at it, I think you can make a case for seven and it, you know, it's easy to dismiss Columbus, you know, given the upheaval there, but they always play hard. They're a prepared team. Um, but certainly I think you can make a case for at least the top seven teams in that Metro division to be um, playing meaningful games in, in January and February. Scott, looking around, uh, you know, league wide, which, what team or teams do you think have had the most productive off season so far? Yeah, you know, uh, it's a it's a great question, and and the team that I've, I I'm really curious to see whether they can you know really take that next step forward uh, is Florida, and and I think yeah I know the Islanders um, took the Lightning to seven games, uh, but I thought the most compelling playoff series might have been that first round series between Florida and Tampa. Uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of um, you know, a lot of back and forth. Uh, we you know saw the the dramatic introduction of Spencer Knight to NHL <laughs> NHL playoff hockey and what a great young goaltender he's going to be in that tandem with Sergei Bavrovsky, who, you know, Tom knows well, there's, there's a lot that goes on with Sergei Bobrovsky. And, and, and I do think he will bounce back after a couple of off years in Florida. Uh, but that tandem, I think, has the potential to be top five or six in the NHL. Um, we'll see what happens with Sergei. But the, the way that defense is built now, with and assuming Aaron Ekblad comes back from that horrific leg injury, uh, he was on pace, I think, to be 
if not a Norris Trophy winner, certainly on the final ballot. Uh, but Brandon Montour, Mackenzie Wegar, who had a breakthrough year, um, that that defense is very, very good. And the pickup of Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhardt um, make that offense so deep. They're hard to play against. Uh, we know about Alexander Barkov. So yeah, I think the Panthers are ready um, well, I, I think this is the question now because they flirted with this kind of thing over the years. Um, to have a team that hasn't won a playoff series since '96, I think, and you know, there's been there's been a lot of teasing going on in Florida, but I think they are ready to step forward, and uh, I think this is a good time to find out. In that division, the Atlantic Division, for my money, is the is the most difficult and deepest division. Uh, in the NHL. So I'm curious to see how the Panthers uh, respond after, a, a, uh, I think, a very important and productive offseason for uh, Billy Zito, the manager there. Yeah. Do you have uh, any idea of when the salary cap might rise again and just how that might affect player movement uh, you know, in the next year or so moving forward? Yeah, no, it's a great question, uh, Taylor. And I, I think, you know, I think we're still looking at, you know, at least two years. It could be three. I know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of debate about how quickly the the, um, uh, the revenues are going to bounce back and what what form um, or innovations the NHL and its teams might uh, be able to undertake to try and accelerate the, the, the economic return from the pandemic. Um, but I think most people think it's going to take at least two years and it could be more. And that, you know, we've already seen the um, you know, the impact on free agency and the player movement. And um, it, it's created a, a crunch that I don't think we're, you know, I, I, again, I think we're going to be in the same kind of position a year from now where, you know, players are going to, um, you know, maybe not find the money they thought they were going to find either as restricted free agents or UFAs, but um, we're not out of the woods yet. Now, Having said that, of course, if you're an elite defenseman, apparently none of that matters. You you get nine million dollars. Doesn't matter if you're an elite defenseman. So what, what do I know? Scott, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I mean, everyone should be reading Scott Burnside's work. I'm sure you have over the years. Continue to do that. Um, thanks again for joining us, Scott. And that's it for this edition of the 66 to 87 podcast for our friend, Scott Burnside, for Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you later in the week.